welcome to Old Books with Grace. I'm Dr. Grace Hammond, medievalist, author, huge fan of Christmas carols. And today, we're going to read a poem which many of you have perhaps sung with full hearts. It's Christina Rossetti's A Christmas Carol, perhaps better known as In the Bleak Midwinter. And by the way, if you were not a listener at this time last year, I did a whole series on historical Christmas and Advent carols, so you may want to check that out if you're looking for something to listen to while you wrap presents. I'm pairing Rossetti's Christmas Carol with a medieval lyric found in a much larger poem, William Langland's Piers Plowman, and you will find out why as we go along. belonged to a multi-talented Victorian family. Born in December 1830 in London to an expat Italian nobleman and a half-Italian daughter of artists, she grew up surrounded by art, artists, and writers. Her uncle was physician to Lord Byron. Her father wrote controversial books about the Middle Ages. Her mother served as artistic muse to her famous pre-Raphaelite artist brother, Dante Gabriel Rossetti. The family even served as subjects for photographs taken by Lewis Carroll, yes, the author of Alice in Wonderland. Rossetti started writing poetry that her brother often illustrated as a young girl and successfully published volumes of poetry for both adults and children. One of my favorite poets, Gerard Manley Hopkins, was a big fan of her poetry. Though she received marriage proposals, she remained single, living with her mother, spending her time caring for women who had left prostitution at the St. Mary Magdalene House of Charity in Highgate, London. She died of breast cancer in 1894 at the age of 64, writing devotional works and children's literature until the very end of her life. Truly a fascinating person. William Langland, our other poet today, lived almost exactly 600 years earlier. We know very little about his life. His name might even be a pseudonym. But he was born around 1330, perhaps in Shropshire or Worcestershire, England. He was likely married with children and lived, we think, as a clerk. Clearly educated, but eccentric, he likely died around some point in 1385 or 1386. In contrast to a man whom we know so little about, Langland's poem, his great work, Piers Plowman, leaves a vibrant, colorful mark on the imagination of anyone who's bold enough to take it up and read it. But I must warn you, I had to read it probably three times before it started making sense to me. It's an allegory populated with theology and social critique, confusingly but brilliantly constructed in a dialectical mode where the reader must continually learn and adapt their reading in order to follow the allegorical multiplicity of meanings. I love it, but I recognize and know it is not for the faint of heart with poetry. It is a wise, angry, baffling, beautiful, long poem written in three distinct versions called the A, B, and C texts. One could reread Pierce Plowman their whole life and continuously evolve their understanding of it. Today, we are looking at a brief little lyrical section that is a metaphor for incarnation that I have taken from the C text, although it appears elsewhere, and it pairs wonderfully with Rossetti. 
So let's return to her. In Rossetti's poetry, we leave behind the pilgrim imagery of Herbert and Eliot to arrive at evocative images from nature that draw attention to paradox and contrast. I'll read A Christmas Carol to you. In the bleak midwinter, frosty wind made moan. Earth stood hard as iron, water like a stone. Snow had fallen, snow on snow, snow on snow, in the bleak midwinter long ago. Our God, heaven cannot hold him, nor earth sustain. Heaven and earth shall flee away when he comes to reign. In the bleak midwinter, a stable place sufficed. The Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ. Enough for him whom cherubim worship night and day, a breast full of milk and a manger full of hay. Enough for him whom angels fall down before, the ox and ass and camel which adore. Angels and archangels may have gathered there, cherubim and seraphim thronged the air, but only his mother in her maiden bliss worshipped the beloved with a kiss. What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? Give my heart. Rossetti's poetry is deceptively simple, which conveys great feeling if we pay attention. We start out in the bleakness of winter, and here we get a hint of the pilgrim imagery we've been following. It's midwinter. We are midway in the cycle of our lives. The earth is hard as metal. The wind blows frosty, and the sustaining life of water has become stone. Snow on snow. This is an unwelcoming place. These images are strengthened for me when I recall Rossetti's Victorian context, the lack of central heat, the benumbed fingers and toes, cold doorknobs cracking ice to wash your face in the morning, hard and cold. It's all the more significant that we celebrate Christ coming in winter. Christ comes to the barren wintry land as something unpromising, a stable. Rossetti creates a strong contrast between the heaven that cannot hold God and the little smelly trough that ultimately does. She loves to work in contrasts. In the midst of the worship of cherubim and archangels, God chooses breast milk and hay. The invisible angels are represented by the very solid ox and ass. The worship was all real, but none of it as profoundly loving and embodied as the kiss of his mother. But my favorite line of Rossetti's is that first line of the second stanza. Our God, heaven cannot hold him. In part because it's an astounding idea. What does it mean that even heaven itself cannot contain the love of God, that it will flow over like the cup of God's bounty in Psalm 23? This is where Langland enters the scene, or rather, has already been a part of the scene for 600 years, in one of the most beautiful passages in all of Piers Plowman. In it, Langland sets up a detailed metaphor for love as the plant of peace. 
I'll read it to you in Middle English because it's alliterative poetry, and it needs to be heard. You may think that old poetry in English is always rhyming. Not true. The oldest poetry in English tends to belong to the ancient tradition of alliterative poetry. Remember alliteration from elementary school when you start words with the same sound over and over? This makes alliterative poetry a joy to read aloud. So I'll start with Middle English, which of course is pre-Shakespearean, um, and, uh, but not nearly as old as the Old English of Beowulf. And then I will read aloud a modern translation by George Economou. For truth telleth that love is triacle to abate a sinner, and most sovereign salve for soul and for body. Love is the plant to pace, most precious of virtues. For heaven hold it nemichte, so heavy it semed, till it had of earth egotten itself. Was never lef upon linde liter thereafter, as when it had of the fold of flesh and blood attacken. Though was it portative and persant, as is the point of a nailde, me non armor it let. Nenon walls. For truth counts love sin's best antivenin, and the sovereign of salves for the body and soul. Love is the plant of peace, most precious its powers. Heaven could not hold it, so heavy it first seemed, till it begat itself of earth. Never was leaf upon linden lighter thereafter as when it had taken flesh and blood form. Then it was light and piercing as the point of a needle. There's no armor or high wall can block it. Isn't that lovely? Love is the plant of peace and is the only medicine that cures the poison of sin. Consider the impact in a culture where medicine is far less removed from its sources in nature than it is today. Imagine the grinding and precision and mixing that goes into mix- making a, a salve for a wounded body or a poisonous bite. The plants that you gather. Love is a sovereign medicine, powerfully potent and precious. Then, in a fabulously rich image, Langland describes the heaviness of love in heaven. Like precious gold or metal, it is too heavy to hold. It stoops down to earth with the weight of its love. Like Rossetti, Langland moves easily between contrasts, using paradox to build a metaphor of the world's most confounding paradox. The incarnation itself, a god born to mankind as a helpless infant relinquishing power, undressing, enlightening like George Herbert's poem last week, God arrives. Heaven cannot hold this heavy love. Heavy, heavy, heavy until love falls to earth and becomes as light as a trembling leaf on a linden tree. This metaphor always makes me want to cry. Doesn't it capture the unbearably precious and fragile lightness of a newborn baby? Their shivery little bodies 
are like those light, transparent linden leaves. And then yet again, the metaphor shifts in its lightness. One might think that a love originally so heavy that it fell to earth would smother, compel, or clumsily trample. But Langland expresses its nimble, beautiful nature. This earthbound, enfleshed love becomes portable and needle-sharp, or in Langland's Middle English, portatif and persant, as is the point of aneld. Such a love pierces through armor. It lightly leaps high walls. Strangest of all is that love becomes this way once it is bound up in particular skin, sinew, and muscle. It feels like falling in human love, loving a beloved friend, or learning to love one's newborn child. One's heart is pierced through. You just aren't the same. This is no abstraction, but a statement on love's power in incarnation. God is merciful and loving with us. He doesn't ask us to love an abstraction, but to love how we are created to love, how we love one another when we are at our best. This is what Rossetti and Langland both seek to explore. In her last stanza, Rossetti expresses her awe and love in response to that paradoxical invitation. She voices words that I desire to echo, but sometimes find hard. What can I give him? Poor as I am. If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? Give my heart. One's heart has been pierced by the needle-sharp incarnate love. The walls have been breached not by battering ram love, not smothering love, but by linden leaf love, by the lightness of invitation. The God who has turned aside from the worship of archangels for the gentle kiss of his human mother is the same all-powerful God who rejoices in the lovely and small gifts of human hearts. Thank you again for listening to Old Books with Grace. I'm Dr. Grace Hammond. And if you'd like to find more of my work, I have a monthly Substack newsletter called Medievalish that's free and covers writers like William Langland himself and other medieval and early modern folks. The paid tier of that Substack offers access to a book club in which I upload videos of lectures um, in more detail on these medieval and early modern works. Right now we're reading Julian of Norwich together and I'd love for you to join us. You can also find me on social media, on Twitter at Grace Hammond PhD, and on Instagram at Old Books with Grace. I'd love to connect and hear your thoughts about this episode or answer questions about old books. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd also deeply appreciate it if you left a rating or review on the platform of your choice. It helps me out a lot. Next week, we'll be diving for our last Advent episode into some incredibly beautiful early English poetry, translations in the ancient tradition of liturgy. Oh,